I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I hope you've had a great week. Uh, I have had just really kind of a fun week. We've had a lot going on. On Wednesday, we had the 200th episode of Andrew Whaley's Counterposition. He's one of the other hosts here on the on the, uh, the Breadbox Media Network. Uh, if you are a listener of this show and this is the only show you listen to, let me tell you, you're missing out. You are. Uh, we've got a, a whole host of other shows, including Mark Shea. Uh, he's got his Connecting the Dots uh, program. We've got the Mike Allen show every morning for two hours. Uh, we have the Almost Hour with Leo Brown uh, and and many, many more, including uh, Dr. Michelle uh, and uh, Andrew Whaley, who we just talked about. And uh, gosh, uh, Sonia Corbett, Allison uh, Gingras. She probably, I probably said that wrong. I say it wrong on purpose. Uh, Gingra, it's a very French name. Uh, you know, th- there's just a ton of stuff that you can catch on the Breadbox Media Network, and the best place to catch it. Now, some of you I know are listening to this show after the fact. You're listening to it on the podcast, as it archives, and you know what? That's okay, uh, because this show is pretty much what it's going to be. Uh, I I talk to you, and and you talk to me on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, and I have a guest, and they talk to me. And but there are some of our shows. That, uh, that if you are listening as a podcast listener, then you're missing out. You're missing out on that live component where you can call in and engage in the conversation, uh, send your tweets, your texts, or anything else. Uh, and those shows are available live streaming on the Breadbox Media app. Uh, that's The live shows are Mark Shea. If you've ever wanted to just kind of have a throwdown with Mark Shea and Facebook is not meeting that need, well, guess what? You can give him. You can give him a call and and uh, have that conversation on the radio. You, you can do that with uh, with Leo Brown, with uh, Doctor Michelle, with Mike Allen, and it's worth your time. So if you are listening on podcast and you've not yet downloaded the Breadbox Media app, then I want you uh, to pull out your smartphone. If you've got a smartphone. Uh, you can go to the app store of your choice. If, you, uh, if you're on uh, the Android platform, may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, but it's available. You can get that app there on the Android uh, marketplace, uh, whatever they call that thing. I don't even know because I, I have been iPhone since generation one. Uh, and uh, if you're on the iPhone, hey, good news. You're going to, uh, to heaven faster, less purgatory because of that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm probably getting more purgatory because of that statement. Uh, but no, you can get that on the on the App Store there as well. So I encourage you, if you have not downloaded the app, it is a radio station in your pocket. You don't have to schedule the podcast. It's kind of like what, when I was a, a kid. You know, you sat down in front of the TV with your three chan- four, four channels. You had the three networks and a public access. And if you did not sit down at the right time, you missed your show. I'm sorry. It, it aired at that time. Uh, there, I'm way before uh, VHS, way before TiVo. Uh, you just had to be there. And uh, luckily now, if you missed the show, well, it is podcast, but the show is live. There is that live component if you download that app. And so I want to encourage you to go and, and do that and don't miss your Saturday morning cartoons like I might have done once or 
twice as a child and I'm still scarred. <laughs> uh, so we had that, all, all that to say, we had a great show on Wednesday with Andrew Whaley. He had his 200th episode. He uh, took callers. I mean, he was actually in, he's from the Denver area. He's uh, got a coffee shop there in the Augustan Institute. Uh, at the, the, well, how does he say it? The, the, base of the, nestled at the foot of the Rockies, not unlike NORAD, right? Uh, I had a show with him uh, a couple of, gosh, I guess about a month ago when I was out that way. Uh, and so uh, he was out this way and came into the Breadbox Media Studios here in beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, we just had a grand old time with him. So you want to catch that uh, on uh, on the archives, you go to breadboxmedia.com, go to the podcast section, find Andrew Whaley and the, uh, the, the, the counter position. It's supposed to be a play on words because he is a barista. He runs coffee shops. Uh, and so his position is the counter position, not so much. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> So go catch that show, Counterposition 200th episode, episode 200, uh, and hear the just uproarious fun that we had uh, on Wednesday. And uh, right about that same time, I guess on, on Tuesday, there was that big announcement that the, the Pope had established a commission after much prayer and discernment, established a commission to study the question of female deacons, and the whole world exploded. You either had people who were uh, weeping and gnashing teeth and saying, he can't do this, uh, or you had people who were just absolutely dancing in the streets. And really, there's not a whole lot of There may be a lot of people in, in between those two extremes, but they were not active on my Facebook wall. Uh, and so, you know, you look at this situation, and um, I just I, I have this desire to grab someone by the shirt cuffs uh, the collar and say, listen, calm down. Let's have a conversation about this and why it does not signal the end of the world as we know it. So uh, we're going to have a great conversation uh, after in that next segment coming up with uh, Deacon Greg Kandra. I think I'm saying that right. Deacon Greg Kandra is a deacon of the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, he blogs over at the Alatia Network and uh, for nearly three decades, was an award-winning writer and producer for CBS News. Uh, he's got his own take, both uh, as a deacon and as a, uh, a consumer of the news and, and really a, a writer of the news. Uh, he's got an interesting take. We're going to want to listen to that. You don't want to go anywhere uh, and miss that. So we'll get to that here in a bit, but I, I want to talk to you about this proclivity that we have when we hear Pope Francis doing something uh, to lose our heads and run around the room like chickens with our heads cut off, uh, I never want to say something as definitive that the church has not said is definitive, right? We, we've been given this wealth by a 2,000-year-old faith handed down to us by the apostles, and there are some things that are strictly speaking definitive, They've been defined by a council. They've been defined by a pope. Uh, and so we can look at them and know with safety and security that these aspects of the faith are not going to change. Uh, there's a, a great essay on the development of doctrine by uh, development of Christian doctrine by uh, John Henry Newman, Cardinal John Henry Newman. 
about how doctrine can over time develop but not change, right? It doesn't ever uh, go retrograde or turn back and say what we used to believe was wrong. In fact, Peter Kreeft has this great statement uh, summarizing that whole essay, and basically it says this. Uh, we the, the church doesn't have authority over sacred tradition because she's not its author. Its author is Christ. She can interpret it and draw out its inner meanings, but she can never correct it. She can add to it, but never subtract from it. And when she adds, she adds organically like a tree adds fruit, not mechanically like a construction crew adds another story to a house. Uh, you might also think about it in, in terms of uh, how, well, prob- no, probably the tree is the best illustration, that the branch doesn't, uh, doesn't undo what it has done before as it grows and adds fruit, but it, it naturally progresses out of where it was into this new place. And so we have this idea of the development of doctrine, and yet so many people uh, who, who appreciate the steadfastness of the church get really, really nervous when they perceive uh, any change whatsoever. It's like a piece of fruit starts popping out of the tree or a bud comes and they get really, really frantic. And I want to encourage you, the church does give us this stability and security in those things that she has defined for us. Uh, we know that we're never going to go back on the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is the Trinity. We know that we're never going to uh, believe that Jesus did not physically rise from the dead. We know that because it has been defined infallibly uh, as doctrine. But there are some things that are they're, they're longstanding, but they're not defined. Uh, and so it wouldn't really be a big deal if they changed. If tomorrow we changed uh, the fact that uh, we have cardinals and said, okay, we're not doing cardinals anymore, or we said a cardinal no longer has to be an archbishop, it really would not be a big deal. Uh, There's been some speculation about even the presence of a female cardinal. In fact, there's an anecdotal story that someone uh, suggested to St. Pope John Paul II, that he make uh, Mother Teresa uh, a cardinal. I don't know the veracity of this or not, but the, the reported answer from, from uh, St. Pope John Paul II was, I asked her and she didn't want to be. <laughs> and so, you know, th- we have these ideas and we think, oh my gosh, that's, that's changed and we can't do that because we've got to uphold the faith. Well, those things that the church has not defined, uh, we don't have to worry about if they're going to change or not. If they change, okay. If they don't, okay. Because we have security that the faith that was handed down by the apostles won't change. It won't. But we get worked up about things that the church doesn't get worked up about. And we have to, to sit back, relax, and trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding his church. We don't have faith in the Pope. We have faith that the Holy Spirit will not allow us to go into error. Uh, So, we're going to come back, we're going to talk with Deacon Greg Kandra about his thoughts on this very matter, Uh, speaking of the diaconate for women. Why don't you join the conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. Be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking through the break. We're joined today by Deacon Greg Kandra. Uh, He's a deacon in the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York, and for three decades, he was an award-winning writer and producer for CBS News. Uh, Deacon Greg now serves as the multimedia editor for Catholic Near East Welfare Association and also blogs on the Alatia Network. Uh, Deacon Greg, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're coming right up on uh, on a big deacon feast. We have the the Feast of St. Lawrence coming up ne- uh, next Wednesday, uh, and we're going to be doing a reading from the breviary in our last segment together uh, on that reading. So it, we've it's it's kind of a deacon week uh, going on. We've got the Pope establishing the new commission to study the question of uh, female diaconate. We've got the the feast day coming up, and no doubt you have. Uh, you've got gotten an earful uh, this week on that very issue. Oh yeah, <laughs> everybody wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, so we talked in the last, just before the break, we were talking about uh, the fact that the church defines certain things for us, but certain questions get left open until they really become issues. And uh, of course, that's what we have here. This is an issue that's not yet been decided. Uh, we had a, a commission that studied the question in two thousand two. Uh, but they didn't bring back a recommendation one way or the other. Uh, we had uh, the the encyclical, not the encyclical, we had the statement by um, St. Pope John Paul II regarding priestly ordination, but he specifically left out any recommendation or reference to the question of uh, the diaconal ordination. So talk to me a little bit about your impressions of what this commission is going to uh, go through, what questions they're going to be asking, uh, and a little bit of historical context, if you would. Sure. Well, I think um, a lot of people have been saying, wasn't this issue settled? Why are we revisiting this now? Mm -hmm. Well, in 2002, as you indicated, there was a theological commission that looked into the issue of the the history of the diaconate and women's uh, women deacons or deaconesses. uh, And what they did and what their role was in the early days of the church. And while the commission strongly leaned uh, I believe, against ordaining women as deacons, it didn't reach any definitive conclusion. And in fact, the language it used at the end of the very last couple of paragraphs of this long document, they said, we leave this up to the ministry of discernment. And essentially, they were kicking the can down the, the road for another pope or someone to, to resolve and to deal with. And I think that's where we are right now, is Pope Francis is that other person who's going to look at this and try and figure out where we are and what the church should do with the information that we have. So this commission, it's uh, made up of, uh, I believe it's six men and six women, uh, theologians and historians and people who have done a lot of research on this. And they're going to look at what we know about what women deacons did in the early days of the church and uh, try to come to some conclusions and try and decide if we should have women ordained as deacons now. And there's a lot of dispute about this. Um, Mm -hmm. Up up until about two decades ago, uh, the prevailing opinion was that women were not ordained. You know, they may have been called deacons or deaconesses, but it was different from what we know as deacons today. There, there was not uh, a, a sacramental function. Uh, they did not receive a sacrament. 
uh, of holy orders. Some research since then has disputed that, and a leading proponent of this is Phyllis Zagano, who you see quoted a lot in the press about this. She's written a couple of books on it and has done the most recent research, and she contends that there are, in fact, um, books and rituals that go back to the early days of the church, which do have a laying on of hands and what appears to be something very similar to an ordination for women. Uh, as as deacons. Now, the other part of this is, okay, what was it that they did? And the prevailing opinion seems to be that women assisted with baptisms. Uh, back in those days, there was full immersion, and adult women would be naked. And so these women would assist with that and with the anointing and do relatively minor tasks assisting uh, the presbyters uh, and, and the bishops. Right. And of course, the, um, naked, the nakedness was a, a sign of our dying to self and being now clothed in the white robes of new life. And so there was symbolism even in that, but they took precautions correct. because of that. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about, I have a question. Uh, normally, I ask questions that I know the answer to, but I've got one that I don't necessarily have the answer to. We know that the the character of ordination, specifically regarding the priesthood, is one that was established by Christ. Uh, And so that's one of the reasons in the 1994 document by St. Pope John Paul II that he says we don't have the authority as the church to change anything about that because that was something handed down by Christ in his selection of the apostles. Uh, My question is the diaconal ministry is one that was established by the apostles, uh, and so does that perhaps create something different, just like uh, we created the, the office of cardinal. And so that office, we can make changes to it uh, canonically as we would. Um, is that same kind of freedom available in the diaconal ministry as well? Yeah, there are a lot of people who will contend that, uh, who will argue that that very point. And I don't know enough of the, the theological nuances, but I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and this is something that I have always heard, that because this was an office that was created by the Church, by the Apostles, and not instituted by Christ, that it is um, something that the Church can also change and adjust. And, uh, you know, we will have to see. Mm-hmm. An interesting little nuance uh, happened, I guess it was in 2009. There was a small but significant change to canon law that was instituted by Pope Benedict, Mm -hmm. in which he defined more clearly the the function and the role of the priest and the bishop versus the function and role of the deacon. I don't have it in front of me right now, but roughly speaking, what he said was that the priest and the bishop are configured to Christ, the head of the church, and the deacon is configured to serve the people of God. And once again, there's an interesting, very subtle shift there. Uh, in, when Benedict making that change, the priest and the bishop are configured to a male figure, mm-hmm. who is Christ, whereas the deacon is not necessarily. Uh, he's configured to the people of God, which is everyone. So it, it, it's an interesting distinction. Well, it's something that may be important to remember is that the the 
the office of deacon, the, the ordination of a deacon as a separate office, was something that was recaptured by Vatican II. It had gone by the wayside, and deacon had become a step on the way to priesthood. Uh, and so in reclaiming the permanent uh, diaconate, we're kind of stepping into new or, or re- rediscovering old territory again. And so I think maybe part of the frustration people have is that in their minds, because it just happened uh, back at Vatican II, which historically is not all that long ago, we're still conflating the diaconate as a step toward the priesthood. I've seen some people talk about uh, that the diaconate is an order below priesthood rather than it is a completely separate order uh, that has its own function. It has its own uh, configurement that really has a relationship to the priesthood, but it's not a direct line. It's, it's more uh, a different office. Exactly. And I've heard some bishops speak of it as really being uh, a balance, if you will, to the priesthood. You know, you've got the bishop in the middle. I've heard a bishop describe it, and his, his right arm is the priest and his left arm is the deacon. And in fact, we report, uh, we are ordained to serve the bishop. Right. Um, at ordination, you know, if you've ever been to a priestly ordination, um, you know, the, the, the newly ordained uh, is, has all the other priests lay hands on him. Whereas when a deacon is ordained, the only person who lays hands on him is, uh, is the bishop. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very special kind of relationship that the deacon has to the bishop. Well, and in fact, in the early church, you had the deacon and the bishop, and the presbyter is something that came along uh, later as a as a delegation for the bishop who couldn't be in all places of the diocese. Yeah, I, w- I was going to mention that in in scripture there is mention of deacons before there is any mention of priests. Mm-hmm. So, so you have the bishop that uh, acts as a priest, but you get to a place where, unless you're just exceptionally saintly, you don't have the ability to bilocate. Uh, the, you've got geographic constraints to uh, the number of growing Christians. You have to somehow spread yourself out, and of course, the the church did that through the means of delegating some of the responsibilities right and proper to a bishop and gave them to the priesthood. Now, there's one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, We're just up on a break, but some people are worried as we approach this commission that Pope Francis set up because of the presence of uh, Professor Phyllis Zagano, uh, who is a a, a proponent of female ordination. And so just by her presence, some people think that the decision's already made uh, and they know how this is going to end up. And the truth is, we don't know how this is going to end up. Uh, But even St. Thomas Aquinas, when he was writing in the in the Summa Theologica, he put up the best argument possible against his position before he gave his position, right? The church makes a habit of listening to the best argument against a certain thing before she decides for or against it, right? We don't just knock down uh, weak arguments. We say, give us the best thing you have, and we're going to see if it stands up against tradition, see if it stands up against history. And that's all that's going on here. We're going to continue this conversation just after the break here with Deacon Greg Condra of the Alatia Network. We're talking about the commission uh, that Pope Francis set up on to study the question of female diaconate. A lot going on here. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. Of course, we're joined today by Deacon Greg Kandra of the, uh, the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you don't have the Brooklyn accent at all. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> People complain about that sometimes. They're, they're a little, little surprised. I'm actually not from Brooklyn. I grew up in Maryland outside of Washington, D.C. Okay, and of course, you, you were a producer, writer and producer for CBS News, so I'm sure that this, this specific uh, issue of the, the, the commission made by Pope Francis to study the question of female deacons, I'm sure this has interest for you on just any number of levels, both as a spiritual event and as a, a, a newsworthy event. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this unfolds. Well, you know, one of the ways that it's certain to unfold, as everything does in our 24-hour news cycle, is with panic, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and jubilation. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the traditional role of a deacon. And we're going to go all the way back to the Book of Acts, where the apostles uh, are spending so much time caring for the physical needs of the people that they feel like they're neglecting the, the work of uh, the, the gospel, of ministering the, the, the truth and teaching. Uh, and so they created this, uh, this ministry, these seven men who would go out and basically take care of the poor. Uh, we have uh, the St. Lawrence Feast Day coming up on Wednesday, and he is a, a martyr who was famously martyred because when asked to bring the riches of the church before the magistrates, uh, he went out and gathered the poor people and brought them and said, here, here is the wealth of the church. Uh, and so they, they martyred him by grilling him over a fire. And there's this, this anecdotal story, which uh, either is legend or is true, and I just really hope that it's true, uh, that he looked up at the people who were roasting him alive over this fire and said, you can turn me over. I'm done on this side. <laughs> uh, and so here we have the ministry of the deacon, you said earlier that he's the right hand, the, the left hand of the bishop, that he is uh, d- reports directly to the bishop. Uh, it's often said that because a deacon is both clergy and also in the world having that, that uh, career as well, that he is able to, to be the eyes and the ears uh, to the bishop in a way that no one else other than that position really could be. Uh, so talk to me a little bit of, maybe about your understanding of that history of, of the diaconate and how you see that played out in your own life. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a unique kind of uh, vocation, uh, unlike, you know, the priesthood. Well, like you said, we do live and work uh, among the people. A lot, most of us are married. We have jobs, uh, families, all of that. And we live side by side with the people that we serve every day. You know, we ride with them on the subway or on the bus or we work with them. And it it gives a very unique perspective and it gives us something rich really to um, to to preach about also when when we're preaching on Sundays. A lot of people don't realize that the present diaconate actually goes back much further than Vatican II. The roots for the restored diaconate really began uh, in the uh, concentration camps, hmm. Dachau. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this story about the, the Priester Block. It's it's a fascinating uh, tale. They there was one cell block in uh, Dachau where they kept all the clergy. It was called the Priester Block, uh, the cell block where they kept the priests. And as World War II was winding down, the men who were in the Priester Block 
began thinking and talking and discussing among themselves, what can we do in the world to rebuild the world and to not have this happen again? And one of the ideas that they went back to, which was something that had been talked about a little bit in the 19th century, was bringing back the deacon as a full and permanent order. And wouldn't it be great? It would, it, the idea was later expressed in the worker-priest movement uh, a little bit after World War II. But the idea of having clergy live and work and be among the people so that you're aware of what their needs are, what is happening in the world, and you can try and address those needs and meet them. And so World War II ended, and people found themselves in a world very much like in the first century, uh, in the time immediately after the death and resurrection of Christ. It was a world in turmoil, mm -hmm. and there was a world that needed to be evangelized. And they actually, there was a group of uh, bishops, you know, those, those priests who had been into priest or block became bishops, and it was a group of them that approached Pius XII in the 1950s with this idea of bringing back the diaconate, and he was very intrigued by it. And he said, I don't think the time has come for it yet, but let's keep praying about it. And then along came Vatican II, and suddenly the time was there. And a lot of these guys had become bishops and cardinals, and so they brought forward this idea of bringing back the restored diaconate. And uh, here we are today. And the original idea was that the diaconate deacons would be very useful in the third world, hmm. and they could minister to people uh, that way. But what we found, of course, is that it's really in the first world, especially in the United States, where the vocation has really taken off. And uh, it shows, you know, how unpredictable God can be. And, uh, you know, you make plans and God laughs. <laughs> yeah, we're talking with Deacon Greg Condra today. Uh, we talked during the break a little bit about um, some of the hesitancy that, that some dioceses, some bishops have had regarding uh, the diaconate. And I wanted to come to that because you, you just brought up this question of, of vocation and of call, uh, so why don't you talk just a little bit uh, about the hesitancy, and I, I want to answer that with, with uh, an answer of my own. Um, you mean the hesitancy of bishops to have deacons? Yes. Yeah, you know, when they brought back the diaconate, there were, there were two strains of thought. There were some guys, or actually three, there were bishops who really, really welcomed it and thought this was great. There were bishops who did not want to have deacons if they could not have women also ordained. They didn't want to have another level of holy orders that did not include women. And then there were bishops who were just very suspicious of it, and uh, they they were uncomfortable with the idea of married men serving with them on the altar and these interlopers coming from outside. <laughs> it, you know, the, the whole clerical culture, it was— uh, and I'm, when I was ordained, I was still encountering some of that. There were mm -hmm. there were priests who considered deacons to be ornaments and really unnecessary. But as time has gone on, that has really changed and evolved. And now there are men being ordained who are sons of deacons, and they grew up with deacons. And so this is something that they know and they recognize and they really appreciate. And that's made a world of difference uh, just in a couple of generations but there are still – there's one or two dioceses with, that do not have a permanent diaconate program for whatever reason. Uh, they feel that they have enough priest vocations. They don't need deacons, and that, I think, betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of what the diaconate is all about and what right. deacons represent in, in the life of the church. 
You know, you, you also mentioned during the break that some are worried that given the choice, uh, a person may choose the, the diaconate over the priesthood. And, and I think that also betrays a fundamental understanding of, of call and of vocation. Uh, and, you know, the priests that I know who, uh, who had to choose, they could have been in lay ministry. They, they, they could have done the work that they did, uh, you know, in teaching the faith from any place. But there is a, a certain call of God and, and a, a, gosh, an annoyance of the Holy Spirit, a thorn in the flesh, that for the person who is called, uh, it doesn't let go. Uh, and so I, I think that the, the, the worry that a priest, someone who's called to the priesthood may settle for the diaconate, one, misunderstands the fundamental difference between the two orders, but two, really, I think, doesn't give enough credit to the power of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to invade our own ideas of the world and draw us into his plan. Exactly. I mean, uh, what are they afraid of? <laughs> you know, the, the Holy Spirit will do what he will the way that he will. And any man who has gone through this and who has answered the call will attest to that. You know, very often the last thing they ever expected was that they would one, be, one day be ordained a priest mm-hmm. or a deacon. And it happened anyway. And, you know, the Holy Spirit will do what he will. Mm-hmm. I want to encourage you, if you are, uh, if you have someone in your life that, uh, maybe a, a son or a nephew or brother or someone who you think uh, has the characteristics and the, the calling to be a priest or to be a deacon, uh, be that voice in their life that encourages them. Be the one who says, you know, you have really encouraged my faith and strengthened me, and have you ever considered the priesthood? Have you ever considered the diaconate? Because while it is the Holy Spirit who calls us, the voices of the people who live right next to us, who we interact with on a daily basis, have such power uh, to help us discern that call of God in our lives. Who, for, for you, who is that person, uh, Deacon Greg, that invited you into the diaconate? It was another deacon. Um, I was on a retreat in Georgia, Our Lady of the Holy Spirit, uh, in Conyers, Georgia, and I was discerning actually becoming a lay Cistercian, a third order Cistercian, and I was on retreat, and one of the people who was there was a deacon from uh, England, and I saw him get up and preach during Mass in three languages, English, French, and Spanish, and something just said to me, that's what you should be doing. That's what you should be doing. And I ended up uh, speaking with him after mass. We shared a table at lunchtime, and one, you know, we had a brief conversation. It turned out he also worked in broadcasting. He worked for the BBC in London. We knew a lot of the same people. Mm. And out of the blue, he just said to me, you know, you should be a deacon. You'd be great. You should be a deacon. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> We've been talking with Deacon Greg Condra. Uh, He blogs over at the Aletia Network. You can find his work over at aletia.org. You can find my work over at OutsideTheWalls.com. We've got the blog there, the Pathios Network, all the archives of this show. Uh, And we also have a place for you to interact with me. That's right, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. I want to know what you think. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Oh, well, we had a great conversation today with Deacon Greg Condra. Uh, he's a blogger uh, over at the Aletia Network, A-L-E-T-E-I-A dot org. There's almost all the vowels in there, not quite, but almost. Uh, and he's a, a obviously a deacon, right? For the uh, he's in the diocese of Brooklyn, and uh, just fabulous conversation. If you missed it, or if you want someone else to enjoy it and participate with it, I've got good news. Uh, it's over on our archives. And the way you find the archives is very simple. You type in OutsideTheWalls.com into your favorite browser of choice. Uh, OutsideTheWalls.com will get you all of our archives. It'll get you to my blog, which is over on the Pathios Network. It will get you to my social media. You can find Facebook and Twitter right there without even having to remember all the very difficult things like step outside the walls or at outside the walls or send there's walls somewhere. I don't know. Uh, good news. All you have to do is go to OutsideTheWalls.com. You can find all our social media, all the archives, the blog, and much more. Uh, now, if you want them to participate. If you if you have someone that you've just been arguing with about some topic and today's show answered a question, well, I've got good news. Within within hours of this show being live, you can go uh, and download the podcast and share it uh, to that person's wall and say, see, type in angrily and say, you need to listen to this so you can see things my way, right? Maybe, maybe... Maybe that's not the best idea, but you could, uh, theoretically, that is a possible scenario. You could share that. Uh, you don't just have to hold it into yourself as you're listening and enjoying it. There's that little share button right at the bottom of each episode, uh, and you can put that on Twitter, on Facebook, and, and spread it far and wide. If you have enjoyed the show, uh, share the show, right? Now, if you really have enjoyed the show and you just love this show, then I, I want to encourage you to become a friend of the show. And how do you do that? Well, it's really easy. You go over, over to breadboxmedia.com. There at the bottom, it says, become a friend of the show. See, it's right there. It's very, very simple. We try to take all the difficulty out. Uh, you, you click on the button, you answer a couple of questions, and uh, put in your desired amount for just $10 a month. You can get uh, enrolled, eligible for a whole bunch of things that we do here. We do uh, giveaways. I've got several books. I've got actually a copy of The Ducat right now, which is a new catechism for young people, specifically based on, it, it's, a it's a companion piece to the youth cat, the UCAT. Uh, but it's specifically based on the social teaching of the church. Great thing. I've got the, you know, they were giving away digital copies of it until uh, the 10th of August. I have... The physical copy, the book, and I'm giving that away. Also going to be given away a book by Patrick Madrid. I don't have it in front of me, but basically the gist is 50 things I've learned in my first 50 years. Uh, he's a little bit older than I am. Uh, but that book I've got to give away. And, and so those are things that I give away once a month to people who become friends of the show. Uh, they're out there waiting. We're going to be giving those away here soon. Also, there's all kinds of little videos or other things that we share, um, sometimes conversations that I have with guests between. We do little videos of that, and uh, those are kinds of things that we put up. So if, if you love this show and you just can't get enough, well, then go over and become a friend of the show. You, you'll get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping uh, keep food on 
uh, on the table for my six kids because the youngest one is eating now. It, granted, he's just eating avocados, uh, but he is eating. So uh, buy an avocado or two for my small, my small child uh, as you participate uh, in, in the life of this show by becoming a friend of the show. So uh, we haven't even touched it yet, but today is uh, the feast day of the Transfiguration. Right. This is the day that Christ revealed himself to Peter, James, and John up on the mountaintop uh, where he, he was revealed in his glory. Uh, and so we're going to talk just a little bit about that uh, because I, I think that it tells us something important about our conversation today. So there's an extra reading we, we get because it's a, this kind of a feast day. We get an extra reading in there, and this one is going to come first-hand account. This is from Peter himself out of the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says this, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when that unique declaration came from him from the majestic glory This is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Moreover, we possess the prophetic message that is altogether reliable. You will do well to be attentive to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, what I love about this is it talks to us a bit uh, about the role of Peter and the seat of Peter, which for right now is occupied by Pope Francis, uh, that there is this, this is not some tradition we just made up. There's a reason behind everything we do. We saw, we were there, we saw God reveal in glory his son. And so that's where we are now. Those We don't ever want to go further than what the church tells us, because the church is guaranteed by Christ himself uh, to be preserved. And so we don't want to step out in front of the church and say, well, the church can't ever do this. We want to let the church lead us. The church is never going to backtrack on itself, not because we're all that great, but because God the Father has given everything his son asked for. And one of the things his son asked for was that we would be one as he and the Father are one. One of the things that he promised is that he would never leave us or forsake us, and the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. This is why, as a convert, I am not in the slightest worried about the direction that this church is going, because we we may have had some rough patches. There may have been points in history uh, that are not as pretty as other points in history, but we know, we know, we know that the church is preserved. Now, earlier in our conversation, we mentioned uh, the, the St. Lawrence, who was a deacon. Uh, his feast day is coming right up. And so I want to read to you a sermon by St. Augustine uh, regarding St. Lawrence. The Roman Church commends to us today the anniversary of the triumph of St. Lawrence. For on this day, he trod the furious pagan world underfoot and flung aside its allurements and so gained victory over Satan's attack on his faith. As you have often heard, Lawrence was a deacon of the church at Rome. There he ministered the sacred blood of Christ. There, for the sake of Christ's name, he poured out his own blood. St. John the Apostle was evidently teaching us about the mystery of the Lord's Supper when he wrote, Just as Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
My brethren, Lawrence understood this, and understanding, he acted on it, just as he had partaken of a gift of self at the table of the Lord. So he prepared to offer such a gift. In his life, he loved Christ. In his death, he followed in his footsteps. Brethren, we too must imitate Christ if we truly love him. We shall not be able to render better return on that love than by modeling our lives on his. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. In saying this, the Apostle Peter seems to have understood that Christ suffered only for those who follow in his steps, in the sense that Christ's passion is of no avail to those who do not. The holy martyrs followed Christ even to the shedding of their life's blood, even to reproducing the very likeness of his passion. They followed him, but not they alone. It is not true that the bridge was broken after the martyrs crossed, nor is it true that after they had drunk from it, the fountain of eternal life dried up. I tell you again and again, my brethren, that in the Lord's garden are to be found not only the roses of his martyrs, in it there are also lilies of the virgins, the ivy of wedded couples, and the violets of widows. On no account may any class of people despair, thinking that God has not called them. Christ suffered for all. What the scriptures say of him is true. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Let us understand, then, how a Christian must follow Christ, even though he does not shed his own blood for him, and his faith is not called to undergo a great test of the martyr's sufferings. The Apostle Paul says of Christ our Lord, Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a prize to be clung to. How unrivaled his majesty! But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, made in the likeness of men, and presenting himself in human form. How deep his humility! Christ humbled himself, Christian. That is what you must make your own. Christ became obedient. How is it that you were proud? When this humbling experience was completed and death itself lay conquered, Christ ascended into heaven. Let us follow him there. For we hear Paul saying, If you have been raised with Christ, you must lift up your thoughts on high, where Christ now sits at the right hand of God. That reading is a homily on St. Lawrence Feast Day by uh, St. Augustine. And it's something really profound for us because uh, we're not all called to the martyr's death. We're not. But we are all called to a life of holiness. We talked about this a little bit last week. We're called to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. We're called to live a life uh, that doesn't get so overly concerned about what's going on necessarily in the rest of the world. We don't get so concerned even in fear of what may happen to the church because we trust that God will preserve his church and we know that we are citizens. Yes, we are citizens here on earth, but first we are citizens of heaven. And this world will come and this world will go. Governments will come and governments will go, but Christ endures forever. The word of the Lord lasts forever. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for taking the time to download or to listen live. Uh, I appreciate it. Now join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Outside the walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio heard around the world on live streaming terrestrial radio and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.